Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Janice Nomura will join us to discuss the Doctor's Blackwell. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, the history of women in medicine would be very different were it not for two pioneering sisters, Elizabeth and Emily Blackwell. Joining us today to discuss their story is Ms. Janice Nomura. Ms. Nomura is the winner of a 2017 Public Scholar Award from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the author of Daughters of the Samurai, A Journey from East to West and Back, which was a New York Times notable book. She has penned the new book, The Doctor's Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. Ms. Nomura, thank you for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks. It's a great pleasure. Certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book, The Daughter's Blackwell, where you explore a pioneering story of these two sisters. Curious how you became interested in their story. Well, I had just finished a book about border-crossing women in the 19th century, and I was um, enjoying that time and that mode. So I was looking around for a new story. And I stumbled across the story of the Blackwell sisters, and I was astonished that I had never encountered it before. I grew up in New York City where they practiced. I am the proud product of girls' feminist education from the age of five up. I was the math science kid and intended to study medicine when I went to college. Uh, I swerved, but I had never heard of them. And that made me wonder why and wonder whether this might be a story that was ripe for reintroduction to the present. When I looked a little further, I found quickly that the Blackwells are not hard to find on the children's biography shelf, but their story there is sanitized and sort of trimmed of all its rough edges. And when I went deeper into the archives to find out more, I discovered two women who were very complicated, and I was drawn to that complexity and wanted to retell this story with all of that intact. Was it your impression that it was because of that complexity that their story really hadn't reached the limelight? Sort of, yeah. I think in some ways and in, in some phases of their lives, they were less easy to like than some heroines you might be more familiar with. I also didn't see any evidence of the story being told as a story of two sisters. There is definitely more material on Elizabeth Blackwell than on Emily, but it was clear to me from the start that this was a story that wouldn't have happened without both of them. And I really wanted to retell it in that frame as a story of two sisters in partnership and sometimes in disagreement. They are very different personalities, as siblings are. Did you have a particular affinity for both of their stories? Uh, this is like asking somebody which is their favorite child. Yes, in different ways. I was blown away by Elizabeth Blackwell's determination. She had a kind of drive that I don't have any parallel for in the people I know in 2021. She had a kind of strength and an inner compass that was really unparalleled, and I was in awe of it. 
Emily felt much more familiar to me in that she was prone to doubt sometimes. She was more drawn to natural science than Elizabeth was, as I am. And she was a little bit better at making human connection, at working as part of a team, which endeared her to me as well. Can you tell us a little bit about their stories, their, their beginnings, how they got into medicine? Yes. Elizabeth Blackwell, contrary to what you might expect, did not have a vocation for healing or medicine. She chose medicine very consciously because she felt that it was important that her life make a point about what women were capable of. She was a devotee of Margaret Fuller, the transcendentalist author and editor, who wrote about the fact that humanity would not rise to a new level of enlightenment until women unleashed their own power and proved that they could do anything they wanted to do. Elizabeth Blackwell chose medicine very strategically as a way of proving that because she thought to herself, if she found her way to a medical school and attended all the lectures and passed all the examinations, how could you argue she wasn't qualified to be a doctor? So that's what she set out to do. It wasn't easy. No one wanted her in a medical school. And she slid into one, a, a small one in Geneva, New York, in the Finger Lakes region of Western New York State, almost by accident. That's a good story that you'll have to read about in the book. And then she kind of anointed her sister, Emily, five years younger, to follow her, knowing that this path of a woman in medicine was going to be lonely and hard. She wanted some company, and she thought highly of Emily's intellectual capabilities. Emily actually had to fight at least as hard to find a place in medical school, because once Elizabeth slid in and succeeded, men's medical schools really closed their doors even more firmly against women. Meanwhile, some women's medical colleges had begun to open to meet the demand of women who were interested in studying. So Emily, who didn't want to go to a women's medical college, had an even harder struggle to find a place to find her degree. Um, she started out in Chicago at Rush and finished up in Cleveland at what is now Case Western. The state of medicine at the time, primitive <laughs> compared to what it was today. Yes. In fact, at the time where they first began to think about studying medicine, medicine really looked very much like it had always looked since antiquity. The scientific innovations that were going to change the face of medicine were all in the future, mostly. There were no good diagnostic tools for doctors to use. And the therapies that they tried on their patients generally had to do with making something happen, whether that was bleeding or blistering or emetics or enemas. They were harsh, dangerous. They weren't particularly conducive to healing. And it's interesting to watch Elizabeth and Emily, as they study and learn, walk this narrow line between establishment thinking, these old ways that weren't particularly productive, and new ideas that maybe didn't have tremendous traction yet, but made sense to them, like hygiene, like prevention. But in order to succeed in this man's world, they wanted to make sure that they didn't alienate the men who they were trying to work alongside. So it's an interesting line they had to walk between new ideas and establishment ideas. I found that part interesting. A case individual trying to make their way into a profession, but perhaps more so in the case of the Blackwells at that time, and it's having to walk that line between establishment thinking. Mm -hmm. That are better in many cases. They thought they would establish a private practice, but in fact, upon their return to New York City to try and do that, they discovered that private patients 
meaning wealthier women who had enough money to choose their medical care, were not interested necessarily in choosing a female doctor. There was a lot of suspicion and mistrust about the idea of a woman practicing medicine. So eventually, the sisters turned their attention to opening an institution of their own, a charitable institution that could survive on donations and serve the poor. So they opened the New York Infirmary for Indigent Women and Children in 1857. That was a small hospital designed both to provide poor women with an opportunity to consult uh, doctors of their own sex, but also a place where the slowly growing numbers of female medical graduates could get the practical training that they didn't get in medical school. Elizabeth and Emily ended up training a generation of young medical graduates there. Eventually, they even opened a women's medical college of their own, sort of contrary to their own first intentions. They weren't crazy about the idea of women's medical colleges, but the ones that existed were mediocre in their minds. And in the end, they decided they would open one that met their own standards. In the end, though, they wound up closing it because there were now advances going on and women were starting to make a place in medicine. Exactly. Emily Blackwell decided to close the Women's Medical College in 1899, just as institutions like Johns Hopkins and Cornell were beginning to admit women as a matter of course. They had always, the, the Blackwell sisters had seen the college as a temporary measure, a way of sort of holding the door open for women until the establishment recognized that it was time to unbar the doors. The infirmary, however, persisted and survived well over a century and then has been absorbed into New York Presbyterian Hospital and is now part of Lower Manhattan Hospital here. Dory, one of the things that was sort of fascinating about it, you would expect these sisters to be ardent suffragettes, but they weren't. It's true. They were out of step with the emerging women's movement. It wasn't that they didn't believe that women should have the vote. Uh, it was that they didn't believe that suffrage should be the top priority of the women's movement. They really felt that if you gave the vote to women who were still dependent financially and legally and emotionally often on their men, that their men would just tell them how to use their vote instead of it becoming an instrument of their own political power. So it wasn't that they thought the vote was a bad idea. They just thought there were other things that needed to be attended to first. The irony is that two of their brothers, Henry and Sam Blackwell, married two of the most prominent feminists of the day, Lucy Stone, a radical activist in, in, in the cause of suffrage, and Antoinette Brown, who was the first woman in this country to be ordained as a minister. The Blackwell sisters and the Blackwell sisters-in-law didn't always see eye to eye on this, but they respected each other enormously and kind of agreed to disagree. Being the figures that they were in medicine, did that have any impact or to set it back in any way? No, I think it was much more an agree to disagree. The Blackwells weren't interested in lending their achievements or their reputations to the suffrage cause, but they weren't interested in impeding it. They they weren't um, criticizing it. They were just holding themselves apart from it, really. What do you think the impact of their career has been on medicine? Well, they diverged in the latter part of their lives. After they had founded the infirmary and the college together, um, they parted ways. And Elizabeth returned to her native England, where she had always preferred to be, and really pursued more public health initiatives than actual medical practice for the last 40 years of her life. Um, Emily remained in New York and stewarded the college and the infirmary very ably uh, at the same time that she saw patients and practiced surgery. I would say that they were the first. And they created institutions in New York that really showed the way forward for women in medicine. Their women's medical college was more rigorous in many ways than the existing institutions. 
And when at the beginning of the 20th century, medical schools kind of reorganized themselves into a more accountable format, they took a lot of the ideas that the Blackwells had used in, in their college. I think that the Blackwells, if they looked around today, would be bemused to see how many issues and problems still remain obstacles for, for women in medicine, but I think they would find them very familiar. Do you think these changes were sort of in the midst or it really took Elizabeth and Emily to get the ball rolling? Well, I mean, being first is part decision and part accident. There were other women who were having these ideas about wanting to pursue medicine at the same time. They just happened to be, Elizabeth at least, just happened to be the first. But she happened to be a special kind of first. She really saw herself as an important figure in progress for women. And I think a more sort of retiring or a woman who was not quite as interested in the spotlight in that position might have made something very different out of it. But I think Elizabeth Blackwell really understood the symbolic importance of what she was doing in addition to the medical importance of what she was doing. And I think she did succeed in being a beacon for other women to give them a sense that this was something they could pursue. Curious if you have some final words on your book, The Doctors Blackwell. Well, I just think it's a it's a story that's that's a good one for this moment because it's a story about female heroines who were heroic and imperfect. And I think we all could do a better job of learning how to admire people who are at the same time flawed because we are all flawed. We were just talking with Ms. Janice Namura. She's the author of the new book, The Doctors Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. Ms. Nomura, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grox Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.